town to see if she could ask me some research questions for a project that she was working on for her humanities class. The topic she wanted to cover was angels and demons. Well, of course, man, I jumped on the opportunity, so we set up a, a call, a Zoom call, and I got to participate in one of the most interesting conversations I've had in quite some time. The next few podcasts are the outcome of that Zoom that I had with her. This has really been a super interesting study for me, and I really think you're going to enjoy it as well. So listen in to part one of this series on angels and demons. ago I get a, a call through the church line somebody leaves a message it's a young girl um, probably in her early 20s and she's a UTEP student she's a university student and um, she asks me on this on this voicemail that she leaves me she says could I ask you some questions about angels and demons I'm doing a research paper for my humanities class at UTEP well, what do you think I did? I said, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's not something to shy away from. It's going to make me learn more. Um, I'll be able to share it with her. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe something good can come from this. So we set up a time. We set up a Zoom call. Um, and so we're on the kind of a camera, you know, kind of a teleconference type of situation. And uh, uh, I asked her, I said, can you kind of give me the questions in advance so I can be prepared she absolutely so she emails me the questions and so it's from that conversation that we had that I'm going to walk you through present pretend like you were right there with the two of us walking through the questions that she asked me and my answers to those questions so that's kind of the backdrop kind of interesting time a lot of fun by the way it was great I I would I'd love to be able to do that all the time Um, but here was the first thing that I told her Um, I said you know what and I'm not going to tell you her name just because this ends up being recorded. There's there's no reason to do that. But I, I told her, I said, you know what? Before we can talk about angels and demons, we have to talk about life and death. And you have to talk about God and Satan before you can really talk about angels and demons. And you know what? If, you, if you're really going to start talking about this, you got you got to picture this. If you've ever lost a loved one, and I imagine every single one of us has lost a loved one at some point, either a friend, a, a relative, maybe a spouse. And, and I hate to elicit those feelings, but as you're looking at them, which has happened to me, and you see them there in the, in the funeral home or there in the, in the church service, you look at them, you say, they're somewhere. That's not them anymore. That's their body, but they've, they're still in existence somewhere, somehow. And so as you begin to rationalize this, then you come to the conclusion, there's an afterlife. There has to be an afterlife. I don't think the human being can honestly look and say, we go from dust to dust and our, our existence is completely annihilated after we pass on. I don't think there's a human being that can truly, honestly, genuinely believe that. Maybe there is. But the vast majority of us, you, you can't, you just don't, you just don't believe that. So if you begin to think about the afterlife, well, that means you're thinking about spiritual things quite legitimately because the afterlife is spiritual in nature. You begin to think of spiritual things and consider the spiritual aspect of things. And when you start thinking about a spiritual dimension, you have to then begin to think about God divinity something higher than us something more powerful than us something that transcends us in other words that was before us and and beyond us and above us and so then if you start thinking about god then you start wondering about his nature does god hear me does god want to interact with me does god care about me does god see all the mess that's going on the good the bad the ugly and then if you start thinking about that (laughs) then your curiosity surfaces and and this is where you come to grips with 
there is definitely evil in this world, right? There's definitely good. There's definitely evil. And when you think of evil, you say evil is very destructive. Evil destroys people's lives through addictions, through greed, through pride. Evil is very, is bent on destruction. And then you start talking about an evil entity, an evil being that's out there that's pushing evil in, in our society and people's lives and whatnot. And so here's the thing. There's no place or no, yeah, no location, no place that you can find a more logical explanation for all these things that I've just mentioned than the Bible. There's nothing. There's philosophy out there. There's science out there. There's all of these things, but there's no one comprehensive single place where you can find the answers to all of these questions than the Bible. There just simply isn't. And the Bible then is backed with experiential things that happen that people can connect with and say, yeah, it's true because it happened to me or because I've experienced this, that, or the other. So it's not just logical, it's experiential. And then it comes with a, a, an unbelievable amount of what I would just call power and authority that if you practice what's in the Bible, you you see results that prove the Bible to be more than just logical, but truth, truth. And so I said all of these things to this young lady. I said, before you ask me any questions, I went through what I just, just told you just now. And I believe we have to do that. You can't talk about angels and demons in isolation from all of these other subjects that we just mentioned. So here was our first question after I explained that. This is going to be an interesting one. Listen to this. And I think you're following up. Uh, here's the first question. You can kind of follow along here. There we go. All right. Literally, word for word, this, is, this was the question. Are the works like the... In fact, there might be some typos in here because I literally copied, cut, and pasted from, from what she sent me. Are, the, are works like the Book of Enoch and the Gospel of Thomas and the Book of Jubilees... Do you recognize any of those books, by the way? Do those sound like books in the Bible? Okay, but some I've getting some head nods and some, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, what are you talking about, Steve? All right, I'm going to explain it in just a second. The Book of Jubilees considered folklore, a.k.a. a myth or a tale. Are they inspired by God or are they blasphemous? Are they useful or are they complete nonsense? All right, well, let's talk about what on earth are these books? <laughs> And, and why was, if we're talking about uh, demons and, or angels and demons, why were these books even brought up as the, literally the first question that was asked? Well, the book of Enoch in particular, I'm about to tell you what the book of Enoch, the book of Enoch in particular uh, speaks to demons and angels quite a bit and lays out somewhat of a framework and provides a lot of insight, might be false insight, but provides some insight into how things came about and what the roles of different angels and demons are. Now, I want to prove to you, first of all, these books are not in the Bible, so why would I consider them to create biblical theology and present that to you and say, this is what you need to know about books, of, a book of demons, or excuse me, about demons and angels Let's turn to the book of Enoch to find out. I'm not going to do that to you because the book of Enoch is not part of the Bible. Just like I wouldn't tell you to go to your local library and look up a book on Satanism and tell me something about demons that way. It doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, a lot of Christians do, and they do it even without knowing that they're doing it because they don't realize that what they've been told actually was found in some of these writings. So let's talk about these writings. What on earth is the book of Enoch, and where did it come from, and, and all of that type of thing? Well, if you look at the Bible, between the Old Testament, does anybody know what the last book of the Bible is? Malachi? All right, is the last book of the Bible, in the Old, excuse me, the last book of the Old Testament, then Jesus was born and lived. Between that time was about 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. And guess what? Life kept going on. History happened during that time. The Greeks 
conquered Palestine during that time. There, there's a lot of things that went on, and guess what? People kept writing during that time. Jews kept writing during that time, and um, there was a lot of Jewish writing in, in particular between 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ, and 100 A.D. During that three 300 year period of time there was a lot of Jewish writings that we do not consider part of the Bible some of it was historical some of it was mythical some of it, it made up some stories about things that happened others were legitimately historical writings that you would read as part of your history books some of it was good some of it was bad some of it was neutral some of it was contradictory to the Bible but let's look on here so Many of these, these writings are referred to as the Apocrypha. Can you say the Apocrypha? <laughs> Apocryphal writings, all right? And so the Apocrypha um, was something, th these were Jewish writings that the Jews were enamored with. They enjoyed reading these writings. Some of it sparked their curiosity. Some of it sparked their intellect. Some of it was like knowledge, it grew their knowledge. But you know what? In 70 A.D., 70 years after the, the calendar started ticking forward, um, Jerusalem fell. The Romans came and totally, uh, they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and at that time, these writings fell into disfavor with the Jewish community. They quit, they quit reading them, they quit talking about them, they quit citing them, and they certainly didn't include them in the, the Hebrew Old Testament. So did you get this? Jews themselves, who are the, uh, the, the, the people who, who hold true that the Old Testament is, is you know, the Scripture, it's from God, they didn't add any of these books to that list of books. It's called a, the list of books, by the way, the list of the Old Testament, all those books of the Bible, that's referred to as the canon. Canon just simply means list, list of books. And the Jews did not add these apocryphal writings to their Old Testament. You're going to see why that's important here in just a second. So they were fell into disfavor, largely um, ignored, and, um, and excluded, as I've said, from the Jewish Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, so this Old Testament apocrypha, Again, had some religious, historic insights, and um, and it shows us what the Jews were thinking at that time. So it's, you know, if you're a real big historian, you want to know more. It's so it would be okay for you to read these, but don't get caught up thinking that these this is scripture, because we certainly believe it's not. Because the Jewish scholars don't believe it is. If they don't believe, why would we believe that it is? There's also numerous contradictions in these books with the Bible. And I want to throw up here real quick. In fact, I think I think it was Jessica. Um, go to the next uh, the next slide. There's an incredibly interesting article uh, on this um, on this app. You can get it on your phone. It's a website as well on the Blue Letter Bible Org app. Um, there's an incredibly interesting article showing some of the contradictions that were in these writings, these apocryphal writings versus what's in the Bible. You need to be in tune. We need to be aware of these things. We need to understand these things uh, because we could make some significant mistakes just listening to a brother or sister in Christ saying, oh, well, this is how things work. Well, where did you get your information from? Did you get it from the Bible or did you get it from some other source? We need to be aware of these things. All right. And as I've mentioned, none. Oh, here's another interesting point. None of the New Testament writers reference these apocryphal writings, but they do reference the Old Testament writings. Very, very important to understand how the Bible was put together, why the list of books that we have is the correct list. And, and as Jesus said, you better not add to this and you better not delete anything from this either. Amen? All right, so... Just a little bit more history. Hang with me. We're almost here to pull all this together so that it makes sense. During the Reformation, do you know when the Reformation happened and what the Reformation was? I challenge you to, to look into these things. But in the 1500s, you ever heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther, who was back in the Reformation times, 
he um, I won't go into the story, but he 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 went to his local uh, Roman Catholic church and nailed 99 thesis of this is this is what I believe, and it caused all kinds of problems. It's when the Protestant church and and came into existence, I guess, to begin with, and the Roman Catholic church they diverged, and at that time, nine apocryphal writings were left in the Roman Catholic Bible, and they're there to this day, and in the Protestant Bible, the Bible that you use here, they're excluded. They're not there. All right, so there was this divergence, and I want to point out that these apocryphal writings that are in the Roman Catholic Church, or excuse me, the Roman Catholic Bible, um, are Old Testament in nature, and I'm about to make a differentiation, differentiation between the New Testament apocrypha, apocryphal writings, and the Old Testament. So if you go to a Roman Catholic Bible, there's seven more books in the Old Testament than what's in the, the, the Bible that we use here. I am not going to make a big deal out of that. <laughs> if you read your Roman Catholic Bible, feel free to keep doing it. Feel free to keep doing it. I'm not going to make a big deal, but I do want you to be aware that our Bible does not contain those seven books. All right. Just that's a matter of historic um, information. But here's what happened. After Jesus lived, or actually even possibly while he lived, there continued to be apocryphal writings. And it grew into a sect, uh, a cult, uh, a complete uh, a, a religion uh, that, that came out of Jew, uh, uh, Jewish belief and out of Christianity called Gnosticism. And there were Gnostic writers. And so the, these, these writings that occurred during, the, during kind of the New Testament period, these are dangerous. These are just downright dangerous. They're not in the Catholic Bible, and they're certainly not in our Bible. And they are to be ignored. They're not to be read, and they're very, very dangerous. And it's in these set of writings, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Thomas, where you find this, this invention of what demons and angels were. To this day, there's a lot of Christian thought that feeds from those writings, and that's very, very inappropriate. If we want to know anything about angels and demons, it can, should come straight from the Word of God and from no other source. And next Sunday, we'll get into a little bit more of what those thoughts are in particular. Listen to this. These books or these writings, these Gnostic writings, were never included either in the Catholic Bible or in the Protestant Bible. They never have been, and they were never cited. They weren't discussed. We should ignore them entirely because they're false. Very, very important to understand this. So, um, these, these Gnostic writers, what did they believe? Well, they believed that salvation came because of some mystical knowledge that you could have. And so these Gnostic believers, they got to the place where they didn't feel like they had to repent from their sins. They could do physically whatever they wanted to do sleep around, do all this kind of stuff. But as long as they had a mystical knowledge, they were saved. Now, that, has, that is completely contradictory to what, what the Bible tells us, that our physical and our spiritual are one, and, and they can affect one another. You can't separate your spiritual side from your physical side. So what you find is um, that the Apostle Paul attacked Gnostic beliefs in his writings. He attacked it. He confronted it head on. Now, you'll never find the word Gnosticism in the New Testament, but the concepts were there, and the Apostle Paul wrote against it. He fought it, and that's what brought a lot of uh, false teachings into the New Testament church. But let me give you a couple of examples. I'm sorry, we're almost over this introductory piece here. But in 1 Timothy 4.7, the Apostle Paul says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. He was talking about what the Gnostics were trying to teach through their writings, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Thomas. The Book of Thomas, by the way, has all these stories of Jesus growing up. See, we only have a couple of stories of him growing up. In fact, really, only the one when he was 12 years old in the temple. He was separated from his parents, and um, his parents came back and finally found him three days later. They literally lost him. And they found him in the temple, 
with all the, the religious leaders around him, and he told his parents, didn't you know that you'd find me in my father's house? That's the only story of Jesus growing up, minus, of course, his birth, that's told, that, that's told us. But the book of Thomas goes into all these other stories of Jesus growing up and doing miraculous things and shocking people, complete fables, myths, old wives' tales. And that's what the Apostle Paul says, have nothing to do with this junk. This is silliness and it's not even true. He also said in Titus 1.14, he says, pay no attention to Jewish myths. He was talking about these apocryphal writings that we ourselves can't use to come up with, a, with, uh, with information about angels and demons. So my conclusion is this. If apocryphal writings are not inspired by God, why should we use them to build our understanding of angels and demons? Forgive me for taking 15 minutes to explain all of that, but I think we need to understand that and have that as a foundation. But here, we finally start getting into the nitty-gritty. The second question this young lady asked me was, what angels actually exist? Did you, did you hear that? What angels exist? And I read it. I asked her, I said, what do you mean by what? Like, what kinds of angels exist? Is that what you're asking me? And she said, yes. What kinds of angels exist? And are there others that the church labels as mythical that come that come to mind? And then she said, we don't expect you to uh, to cover all angels. And I was, whew, thank goodness, because I don't know. I don't know what all the angels are. I don't think any of us do. But we do have the Bible instructing us and showing us some things about angels. Now, the first thing I think we need to understand is that the word angel in the Greek, which is what was used to write the New Testament, all right, the word angel means messenger, messenger, all right? And here, here's, this is a really cool thought that came to my mind. What are angels trying to tell us then? <laughs> And should I be trying to listen to angels or should I be trying to listen to God? Because you can fall into that trap and get too, well, freaked out by angels. And I saw an angel and I heard an angel. We need to be focused on God, folks. But we can't ignore the fact that God has sent us his angels. So what are angels trying to tell us? And I'm going to tell you this in just a second. So hang with that thought in just a second that I'll get to in just a minute. But Hebrews 1.14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 1.14. That tells us the purpose of angels. God created angels for a reason. He has them here on earth, at least at times here on earth, for a reason. And what is that reason? Well, first of all, we got to realize angels are ministering spirits. Angels are spirits. We need to come to grips with that. A spirit can materialize in the physical and be seen, and a spirit then can be in a place where you can't see it. Angels are spirits. We've got to come to grips that, that this, is, this is simply the truth. But they're here to serve those who will inherit salvation. You've got some angels for you that are trying to help you. <laughs> they're trying to protect you, and we're going to get into how they're trying to help you in just a second. You and I, we need to be aware of the presence of angelic forces around us, with us, with the intent to help us. Praise God. We have angels who are here to serve us and to protect us. And I'll tell this brief story. I know I've told it before. I may have told it twice, but I'm going to tell it just because it fits here really well. Never forget, I was uh, on a business trip. I was going to visit some some folks in Las Vegas where we have a, a property there. The, the, the company that I work for has a property there. And I was dreading this trip. It was, I did not want to go. I didn't want to deal with the people I was going to be dealing with. It was going to be a very tough situation. I was standing in the airport here in El Paso, leaning against the wall, just praying, God, help me. <laughs> I don't want to go, you know. And immediately, the sense that I had two angels on either side of me, towering over me, and God telling me, these guys are going to be with you the whole trip. Don't worry. <laughs> wow. And I tell you what, I flew through that trip, literally on an airplane, but I flew through that trip in the tough meetings that I had to be with people that are angry with me. And I sat there just as calm, cool, and collected because I knew I had these angels with me. 
praise God. This isn't just theory. This isn't just to make you feel good. This is the truth. God has angels with you and for you. They're here to serve you. They're here to protect you, and they're here to tell you something. And we're going to get to that in just a second, so hang tight. But there's spirits. There's a few angels that are mentioned by name in the Bible. There's Michael, the archangel. What's an archangel? I can't even begin to tell you how powerful. An archangel is a fighting angel, an angel that's going to fight for you. Praise God. He's mentioned not only in the New Testament, he's mentioned in the Old Testament. He transcends this time period of now and then, and he's still, still there for us. Referred to as an archangel in Jude, but he's also referred to as one of the chief princes in Daniel and in Revelation and the commander of the angelic forces. Praise God. You've heard of God referred to as the Lord of hosts. Well, here he is, Lord of hosts. See, God is out in front, and there's Michael, the archangel, leading all the angels to fight for us. Praise God. That's Michael. Listen to this. Gabriel. Now, this, this angel seems to be a chief messenger angel. He came and, and told, foretold the birth of John the Baptist, of Jesus. But then he's in the Old Testament as well, and Daniel interpreting a dream for Daniel and communicating the meaning of that dream to Daniel. And that's part of the, part of the Old Testament. Part of the book of Daniel is, is there because Gabriel sent that message or explained that message to, to Daniel. But here's, let's look at what angels do. And in seeing what they do, you can learn what they're trying to tell you. Do you get that? In seeing what angels are here to do, you can learn what, because remember, they're messengers. They're here to send you a message. Their actions are what sends you a message. Don't wait to hear from an angel. Wait to hear from God. But look at what angels do, and that's what they're trying to tell you. Praise God. Look at this. In, um, first of all, angels fight for you. They fight for you. And I want to show you how powerful, how powerful they are and what insane numbers they put up for you, all right? So look at this. In 2 Kings 19.35, one of these days this week, you'll get a text about 2 Kings 19. Read the whole story. Read the whole story. It's powerful. But this one angel, the Assyrian army, was coming against Israel. The Assyrians were brutal, violent people. Violent. The most violent of the people that seemed to come ever come against Israel were the Assyrians. In fact, remember this. Jonah was told by the Lord, go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the most violent empire of that time. He said, go and tell them about me. And you know what? 120,000 Assyrians turned to the Lord. So before you start pinning God and saying he's a violent God, no, God first tries to save. He first tries to save the wicked. And then if they don't repent and they continue in violent wickedness, he will confront them and do what this angel did. Look at this in 2 Kings 19.35. The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 warriors in the Assyrian camp. 185,000. That's crazy. One angel. That's the power of one angel. What, is the, what do angels do? They fight for you. If you're in school and you're being bullied, they'll fight for you. <laughs> if somebody's mistreating you, they'll fight for you. They've come to serve those who will inherit eternal life. God is on your side, and God has put angels on your side. Now look at this. Let's start doing some math here, if you don't mind. In Matthew 26, 53, Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. And he turns to his disciples and he says, Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Well, we just said one angel killed 185,000. How much? How many is, is 12 legions? Well, understanding Roman culture and, and how much a legion was, it was approximately 6,000 men on, on horses. And he said, Don't you think I could have called 12 of those 72,000 angels like that 
Jesus right there. And all, and one of them could already put to death 185,000. I don't know how many, how much gunpowder that is. But you know what? God has his ears inclined to your cry, and he can put at your disposal as many angels as you need in your life to protect you, to watch over you. What are angels trying to tell you? They're trying to tell you, I'll fight for you. I'll fight for you because God has commanded me to fight for you. Here's another thing that angels do. Let's see, uh, oh, they protect you. They protect you. Angels protect you. You've heard the term guardian angel. Do you have a guardian angel as a Christian? You bet you you got a guardian, probably a couple of them, and maybe more than that. Who knows how many that you have? And wait until next Sunday. I'm going to tell you the odds of demons to angels. It's going to blow your mind. Blow your mind. But we don't want to jump ahead of ourselves. Psalms 34, 7. What are angels doing? They're protecting you. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Praise God. You've got angels encamped around you, encircling you. You were protected and guarded. And then I love this one in Matthew 18, 10. I'll never forget when I first... I'm sure I'd read it many times, but when it first captured my attention, it says uh, Jesus had little kids around him. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't despise these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Little ones. Little, I, I'll never forget looking in. I don't know if it was when my kids were, one of my kids was being born or had been born, but I, I looked into one of these nurseries there in the hospital where all the little ones, they all bundled up like little burritos. You know, they're just there. And I was just looking and saying, I feel such peace as I'm just looking at these little ones. You know what? Right as these little things are born, these little people are born, God just goes ahead and puts an angel with them to protect with them. Those, those angels already see the face of God and they're assigned to a little one. Praise God. That's the caring nature of our God. Unbelievable. So they're trying to tell us. What are, what are angels trying to tell you? They're trying to tell you, I'm protecting you. Listen to me. I'm trying to protect you. I'm with you. I'm guarding you. They also are to instruct us in Daniel 9, 21 through 22. Here's a, in fact, I told you about Gabriel. Uh, Daniel has been praying, and Gabriel, a man that I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And listen to this in verse 22 of, verse of chapter 9. He instructed me and said to me. Angels instruct us. And I'll tell you one of the things that angels do, and next, sun, next Sunday I'll give you a personal example of this. They put yield signs up in front of us. If we're going in the wrong direction, God uses angels to slow us down and turn us around. They instruct us. They declare things to us. All right, in Luke 2, verses 9 through 11, there we see the angels uh, declaring uh, to those shepherds that were out in the fields by night, <laughs> declaring to them, a child is born, a son is given. You will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. They declared something to us. And, you know, the Bible tells us the glory of the heavens declare the glory of God. Angels declare the glory of God. They warn us. I just kind of already kind of mentioned that one. But in Matthew 2.13, when they were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. They'd already had Jesus. And the angel says, get up, he said. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. They warn us. They warn us. And it may not be in an audible way, not in a visual way, but God warns you through his angelic uh, servants uh, in one form or fashion. The last one I'll mention, this isn't an all-inclusive list, but they minister to our needs. And in 2 Kings 19, 5 through 7, um, here's, here we find um, Elijah, right? It was Elijah, um, worn out, exhausted, falls asleep. He's running away from Jezebel who's seeking to take his life. He falls asleep under a, uh, a little bush there, and he's, he's already told God, take my life. Who's suicidal? Who's suicidal? He said, take my life. I don't, I'm, I'm no better than my ancestors. And what happens? He falls asleep, and an angel touches him. An 
angel touch. I guarantee you, each and every one of you, you've had the touch of God through an angel to encourage you, to help you, to get you back up again. And Elijah, uh, the angel tells him, get up and eat. He looks around, and there at his head is some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and you know what he did? He laid back down and went back to sleep again. That's how tired. Have you ever been that exhausted? before you're just emotionally drained you're worn out god encourages you you get just enough sustenance to keep breathing (laughs) keep your heart beating and you lay back down go back to sleep again does god say get up you lazy oaf get up you're gonna be no he doesn't do that sends the angel again touches him again praise god gives him a second uh feeding and gives him enough energy to walk 40 days and 40 nights to meet with god Look at the care and love of our God. Look how he gives you angels to to be with you, to protect you, to encourage you, to minister to you and me. You are not alone. You are not alone. Praise God. Well, let's end with this. I'm pushing the envelope because it's going to take a few more minutes. So is this interesting, though? Are we good? All right. Thank goodness. It was interesting to me, at least. But here was the third question this young lady well i think this is the last question the rest of them we'll cover next week but she she asked what is the origin of satan what is the origin of satan in parentheses a fallen angel created by god question mark all right well let's look at who satan is because in order to understand demons you first have to understand angels and you have to understand satan all right don't get the heebie-jeebies in fact i'm going to send you out a text this week that says, don't be fearful of Satan, just hate him. All right, don't be fearful of the devil, of the enemy, of demons, just hate him. Replace your fear with hatred. This is the one time in life when you can hate the devil with all your heart. Hate evil, hate de- de- demons. Here it goes. First Peter 5, 8. Let's look at, at Satan just for a second. I don't like to look at this too much, but we need to be aware. First um, Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and sober. You're enemy satan is your enemy and you know what when you have an enemy you can't have a truce you can't have uh you know a a piece of land like they have in south and north korea demilitarized zone no it's either him or you so you go after him with all your hatred with all everything that he does to people and abuse and violence and fraud and all that you go against him in the name of jesus he's your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And let me tell you, as a Christian, the only power the enemy has is his roar. That's all he has. He is powerless against you except for his roar. The way a lion works, from what I understand, is they will use their roar to absolutely paralyze their prey. They'll, the, the lion will come up and roar, and that poor animal hears the roar, and literally is paralyzed, and then the lion can come and eat him up. When, when, when the enemy roars at you with some terrified, you're gonna you're gonna go bankrupt, your marriage is gonna fail, you're gonna end up on the street, you're gonna that's the enemy roaring at you. Don't listen to him. Don't be paralyzed by him. And I'm talking to myself right now as I speak. This is blessing me. When the enemy roars at you, don't listen to him. Listen to the Lord. Stand firm in your faith and don't slip backwards. Amen. So he's an adversary. He opposes you. He despises you. He wants to see you ruined in this life and he wants to see you ruined in the afterlife. Don't let it happen. You're a child of God. If you've opened your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a child of God and the enemy has no power over you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. That's why he says we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That's why he says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Don't give up. Run the race that God has given you to run. Shake off the sin. Shake off the distraction and run for Jesus until the day that he crowns you in glory. Praise God. Here in Ephesians 2, 2, though, a little bit more about this, this vile, filthy person that the devil is, all right? This entity that he is. Uh, Ephesians 2 2 in which you um, kind of picking up in the verse but in which you used to live when you were following the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air so he's referred to as a ruler of the kingdom of 
the earth here, all right? The spirit, okay? So this tells us something also about the devil. He's a spirit, which we'll get into just a little bit more in just a second. He's referred to in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 as the God of this age. He wants more than anything else to be God and to be praised by people. And he would like God to praise him as well. He is the God of this age. He's a God. He's not the God. There's only one God, and we know that. In John 8, 44, I'll read this whole verse. You belong to your father. Jesus is speaking to these religious lead leaders. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. So now that we find out the devil is a murderer, he's a murderer. Uh, from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. There's zero truth in the enemy. So when God, when, when the devil lies into your, it whispers a lie into your ear, you can breathe a huge sigh of relief. Oh, praise God, I don't have cancer. It's a lie. It's the opposite of what he says. Breathe a big sigh of relief. Oh, I'm not going to lose my job. He just lied to me. The truth, it's the opposite of what he says. Praise the Lord, you know. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be lonely the rest of my life. Oh, big sigh of relief. That's not true. It's a lie. He's the father of all lies. So everything that he tells you, it's the exact opposite of it. Isn't that encouraging? He's a liar and the father of all lies. Now, two more sets of scriptures and we're done for the, for the day. But what the question was what is the origin of satan and there's two sets of scriptures in the bible that gives us the origin of satan let's look at them carefully the first one is in ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 19 and let me just preface this when you read this this week start from the top and you'll see that initially this scripture is not talking about satan he's talking about the ruler notice that i use this word very intentionally the ruler of tyre now Tyre was a city in Lebanon, and in fact is one of the is still a city in Lebanon. It's one of the oldest, like uninterrupted cities uh, uh, in the history that, that we know of archaeologically. He's, it's still intact in today, the, the city of Tyre. And the, this prophecy begins in Ezekiel speaking to the ruler of Tyre, of, of the city. And then in verse 12, it switches gears and it begins to address the king of Tyre. All right. There was no king of Tyre physically, but it begins to address the king of Tyre, who is Satan. And so let's let's read this carefully. It says, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So it's obviously not speaking of the ruler of Tyre anymore. It's talking about Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were perfect. Did you know that Satan used to be perfect? A perfect, beautiful creation, full of wisdom. He was there in Eden, which makes you wonder. Have you ever wondered, when did Satan get prideful and fall? Was it before creation it had to either be before creation or sometime during those seven days of creation. It's interesting to, to really think about that. But he was in Eden in the Garden of God. Now I find this verse interesting. Now I'm just theorizing. Don't take my, don't quote me or anything. But it almost sounds like he was in Eden while he was a perfect creature. Before the fall, God put him in that garden. Maybe it was before Adam ever got into the garden. He said, Lucifer... That was his name. Beautiful name. Right now we think Lucifer. Ooh, it's creepy. But Lucifer was a beautiful name. It's, it means, uh, well, we'll get to that in just a second. But Lucifer was put in the garden maybe during creation because he was, he was the greatest of the angels, as we'll see in just a second. Let's, let's read on. Uh, he was given every precious stone, some of which I can't, uh, can't pronounce too well. It says your settings and mountains were made of gold on the day you were created they were prepared did you get that satan is a created thing just like you and me we're created satan is in no way equal to god no way no way even being compared to god my wife mentioned a, a sermon that she heard uh have you do you remember carmen 
anybody that's listened to Christian music way, way back when in the 80s, this guy named Carmen, and he had this this thing where it's Jesus and Satan are in a boxing match, and they're going every round, and, and, you know, finally Jesus gives the killer blow when he dies on the cross. You know what? Jesus isn't getting into a, a boxing match with Satan. He can put him out in two seconds, in a split second. There's no comparison between Jesus and Satan. Satan is a created being, and now he's way less powerful than he was at that point in time, and Jesus has got him on his radar. He's got him a a target on his back, and Satan knows it, all right? So he was a created being. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. This is how we know that Satan was an angel. A cherub is an angel. It's not myth. It's not, we're not guessing here. Satan was an angel because the Bible tells us that he was an angel. And so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. In other words, in the highest level of heaven, you walked among the fiery stones. I would love, man, I'd love to know, you know, fiery stones speaks to God's holiness. Satan was, before his fall, was in the closest proximity of God's holiness. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, You were blameless in all your ways. He was perfect. He was blameless from the day you were created. There it says again, he was created till till wickedness was found in you. Okay, so what happened? Something happened and Satan, guess what? You know what this tells us? Satan had free will just like you and I do. The, The option to choose God or to choose self. And here we find that wickedness, which is selfishness, entered into Lucifer's heart. And through your widespread trade, now it's kind of looking forward into the future as to what Satan would be doing, um, you will be filled with violence. That's why when we talk about violence, whether left-wing or right-wing, I hate violence, don't you? Despise. Violence has no place in a family, in a marriage, in a city, in a community, in a country. No violence. No violence. That's a that's epitomizes who Satan is. He wants violence. And it says, you sinned. Satan sinned. Lucifer sinned. They have free will. Angels have free will. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I drove you out of heaven. I expelled you. The guardian cherub. There it is. He's an angel. From among the fiery stones. From out of God's holiness. Your heart became proud. And I was, as I was preparing this morning, I was thinking, Jesus, help me to never be proud. Pride. Pride comes before a fall. Look at this. That's in the Bible. Pride comes before a fall, and the devil epitomizes that. He was pride, prideful, and he fell. I don't want to fall. Do you? I don't want there to be an ounce of pride in my life. Forget it. Less of me, as John the Baptist said, less of me and more of him. More of him. Less of me. No more me, 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 more about God, God, God. You became proud on account of your beauty, your corrupted wisdom be, um, because of your splendor. And I'm drawing a blank. Who is the South <laughs> Southern Baptist pastor that we listen to That's um, who is in Tennessee? Adrian Rogers. Oh, love to listen to Adrian Rogers. He has a podcast, and um, he said this. The enemy is hideously beautiful. He's hideously beautiful. So he's beautiful, and he's still beautiful. He can appear as an angel of light to you, all right? But he's hideous. He's hideously beautiful, and he's, oh, crud. What was the other one? I can't remember the other other term that he made, but he's, um, he's dumb at the same time. He's wise, but he's dumb because he... His destruction is coming towards him, and he's just making it worse for himself. That's that's crazy, but we as humans tend to do that as well. Once we mess up, we just keep messing up and spiraling out of control. And we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be that way, but that's that's what the enemy does as well. Because of proud pride, you were corrupted in your wisdom. Um, so I threw you to the earth. You remember Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Jesus gives it from our perspective, and here we see it from God's perspective. He's thrown out of heaven. 
because of your many sins and dishonest trades, you've been you've desecrated your sanctuaries. Um, I'm not going to read too much more here because I we're limited on time. Um, Isaiah 14:12 through 15. I'll finish with this. It says, "How you have fallen from heaven, morning star." Now, morning star was literally written Lucifer. This is the only reference in the Bible to Lucifer. This is how we know his name, morning star which which is is the, the 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 name is actually Lucifer son of the dawn you have been cast down to earth look at this in verse 13 i will raise he says lucifer says this i will ascend to the heavens i will raise my throne above the stars of god the stars of god um, really references the angels of god but now we also know it references the sons and daughters of god as well Satan wants to be above that level. All right, it says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But then in verse 15, look at this. You've been brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. In verse 19 of the previous scriptures we were reading, it says, all the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, we have victory. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, because Satan has been brought low. Hallelujah. Jesus, Lord, you've told us through Jesus, sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. You've given us all authority over the power of the enemy, as it says uh, there in the Gospels. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Why would we tremble and be in fear of a lion who can only roar? And look what he did to Daniel. Lord Jesus, when, when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, <laughs> an angel came and shut the lion's mouth. Hallelujah. Look at what the angel of the Lord does. He not only takes care of the lion so he can't do anything to us, he actually shuts his mouth so that he can't even roar. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, nothing will harm us according to the Word of God. Lord, help us to live that way, to, to believe that way, to, to walk that way, to talk that way, and stop listening to the Lord. Mighty angels, Lord Jesus.